thank you so much for coming. It's so nice to meet you. Um, any friend of Tori's is, you know, a friend of mine for sure. She speaks so highly of you. And uh, I'm really looking forward to getting to know you better because your products look fascinating. And I can't wait for people to hear all about them, how, how this came to fruition and, and your entrepreneurial journey and, and everything else. So thanks for being here, Fiona. Thanks for having me. So what did you bring with you today? Well, I brought some wine. It's definitely our specialty is good quality imported wine from around the world. So I brought some uh, wines for you. I brought some aperitifs and I brought a non-alcoholic spirit. And there's no alcohol in any of this? None. And it's still good. (laughs) (laughs) That's the whole point, right? Arguably better. (laughs) Yeah. Well, can we try it? I'd love to try it. Yeah, let's try some. Yeah. Um, Cassie, could you give us a hand too? Thanks. What are we going to start with? So I would say we should start with the sparkling white right there. Yeah. Brought a lot. So this is, I did, I brought a few things because there's such a range in the category right now. So it's really good to explore a few different types of beverages that are non-alcoholic and find what works for you as you would do with alcohol. Yeah. Um, I always start with a sparkling white because it's kind of the gateway between going from alcohol to non-alcoholic wine. It's the, I would say it's the easiest to taste and it has um, very similar effect. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. Oh, great glassware. It sounds good. I always say good drinks with the great glass. It has a very similar effect to. It's delicious. Try it. Sparkling white wine if you had a champagne or a prosecco or a cava the way that the sort of the alcohol lifts off the tongue it's very similar to the way a sparkling effervescence would lift off it's delicious this is a french wine from a vineyard in the in the south of france in classic wine country and they are they've been at it for about 13 years now producing non-alcoholic wine which you know predates any of our even knowledge that there could be anything non-alcoholic in terms of wine or beer or spirits. They've been at it for a while. And today they're France's best non-alcoholic producer. Cool. How did you get into producing high quality non-alcoholic sparkling white wine? Well, I got into importing first. I haven't yet produced my own wine yet, which wink that will happen. Yeah. It's happening. Because I'm excited. But my sort of the origin of the story begins with my mom, actually. She decided to stop drinking alcohol in the beginning of 2020. And it was for personal reasons, but not for the reasons that typically you think someone, quote unquote, goes sober. She uh, there's a lot of neurological disease in her family. So three of her siblings have Huntington's and one has just passed away from MS. And she picked up a book by William Porter about uh, called Alcohol Explained. Read it. A book you're familiar with. Twice. Um, when she remembered that uh, Oprah decided to, to not drink alcohol when she wanted to lose weight. So my mom said, I, I'm, I'm looking to lose a little bit of weight. My doctor says my numbers aren't, aren't great. Um, but alcohol is the only thing I've never kicked. So why don't I try it? So she picked up a book to try and understand what it is that that it's happening in my body that alcohol is causing me to keep weight on. And he talks about the effects of alcohol on the gut and sleep and health and then the brain. And as soon as she read that there is long-term 
detrimental effects to the brain due to alcohol, she couldn't take another sip again, knowing that her family and her brothers and sisters would kill for a healthy brain. She couldn't do that to herself. So she cut overnight. And that's a woman who loved her wine. (laughs) (laughs) She drank, um, you know, good Chardonnay every night before, before bed. And that was so typical of her, of her, you know, age and the, and the generation that she's in and, and the time over the nineties when you were raising two kids and you were the sole breadwinner, you were like the main breadwinner of the family and you were a working mom. It was to have a glass or two or a bottle of wine at the end of the night. So it wasn't uncommon, you know, and she didn't think it was wrong and she didn't realize that there were any negative side effects to drinking alcohol. Um, so to see her go from drinking as often as she was to nothing was huge for me to witness. And I have been what they kind of call like sober curious for a long time. I have not heard that before. It's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> we can get into that. I've gone years without drinking before. I've not really been interested in it for a long time. I kind of knew when I was about 17 that it wasn't for me. Um, with having the classic teenage blackout experiences, you know, and just, I also was running a business when I was 18. I couldn't afford to go out and get wasted and wake up and run a painting company the next day. It just wasn't working. Painful. Painful. Very painful to be up a 40 foot ladder hungover. So it was just not for me. And I, I would work in the industry so that I didn't have to drink. So I'd work in lounges and bars and restaurants so that I was the one in charge, not, and not, you know, supposed to be drinking. I would be the designated driver notoriously (laughs) just so I could still go out and enjoy myself, but not drink. I would tell bartenders to make me a cocktail that looked like alcohol, but wasn't just so that no one would bother me. It was a big thing. Social pressure and drinking is huge. It was for me. It's huge. So I did that for a long time. And then when my mom decided to fully stop drinking, it really opened up the allowance for me to be clear that I didn't want to drink either. Yeah, I've been able to tell people for a long time, I'm good, you know, I've got my whatever. But with my mom, it was it was a really big moment for me. It was a big gateway. So we started drinking whatever she wanted. And that was, you know, the the good stuff from the back of the liquor store that's on the dustiest bottom shelf or what Safeway's bringing in. And it's not sparkling apple juice, but it's pretty close. Terrible. It's terrible. We did that for about a year and it got old quick. And you thought there has to be a better way. It's got to be something better. Classic. So at the end of 2020 for Christmas, she said with the whole family, okay, everyone, let's do a fully non-alcoholic dinner and see what good stuff we can find. And my dad had to go to four different stores just to pick up the best stuff we could find. And, um, we just thought that's ridiculous. He spent half a day driving around the city. There should be one place you can just go to get all this stuff. And it was, it was, you know, overnight we thought that's it. Let's do this. Let's do it. Cool. Not too long ago. No. So beginning of 2021, we decided to do the business by May we were importing. So we had to go and get a license and teach ourselves how to import. Just a big process. Um, if you want to do it right the first time. Yeah. And, I knew coming from a brand retail wellness background with a passion for social innovation and disruption 
that we needed to reach consumers, not just do the wholesale side of the business and not just go after restaurants. Because after I've co-owned a restaurant now for a while and you just don't bring in anything that you that no one's asking for. <laughs> totally. Not how you, you manage space. So I knew we needed to build consumer and build a community. So we started building a platform and that turned into sensorium.com, a marketplace for non-alcoholic wine, beer, and spirits and beyond. How do you spell that? Just because it's uh, not totally... It's a long word, yeah. It's yeah, a little bit long. S-A-N-S-O-R-I-U-M. And that's a place people can go to find all your products and non-alcoholic premium options. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what do you have there besides this this delicious uh, sparkling white? Yeah. So we have about 150 products in total right wow. now. We ship, um, we bring in product from Australia, from Spain, from England, France, the U.S., and we kind of cover all categories. So everything from non-alcoholic wine, sparkling red and white and rosé to really good craft beer, um, ama- an amazing selection of spirits from absinthe to, you know, a, a espresso style coffee martini that you can make to a Negroni to an Aperol spritz, both in the spirit form and in the canned cocktail ready to drink style, which is really popular right now. And then we have aperitifs, which you can sip neat if you like that. Um, we have craft ciders, mixers. I see it there on the website. It's an amazing selection. And putting this together has put you in, into the center of the conversation about alcohol and our alcohol-centric culture and, and how's that going? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an area that I have become really passionate about uh, from my own personal experience of being someone that decided not to drink many times um, but felt the pressure to. And so have you quit now since 2020 completely or no? Are you allowed to say? You know, <laughs> yeah. What does this do for the brand? Yeah. I really like to represent the, um, I have a choice not to drink, but I could if I wanted to. Yeah. yeah. I do that too. Yeah. I haven't been drunk in five months, but I'll have a drink. Not because someone asked me to, or I think that I should, but because I want one, you know, in a moment, you know, but uh, based on who I'm with maybe, or what I'm doing, or just sort of making that moment, uh, everything it could be perhaps if that's part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but my main thing, uh, was drinking because other, other people wanted me to. And once I, once that switch flipped, um, I went from being just a complete wimp in that regard and just going with the flow and then contributing as much as I could to being the life of the party or, or just like, if we're going that direction, let's go there. I went from that to now, um, basically, you know, being offended, you know, my experience now usually is that when I decline shocking number of people couldn't care less and it's embarrassing to think they ever did. Uh, but once in a while, um, you know, you have somebody who's asking a second or a third time and arguing about it. And then it gets, you know, annoying pretty fast, frankly, mm-hmm. but it's a huge change. And you know, for me, it was a switch that flipped. Sounds like you're in the same boat. Um, you're not saying that you never will, uh, but you might, but you choose not to, is that right or no? Yeah. It just, I, I recognize that it doesn't serve me. It probably never has, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, I've realized that I have, an inherent joyfulness 
that allows me to celebrate in a way that really authentically is me. Yeah. And I can go out and pretty much be with anyone and be myself and be as happy or as quiet or as magnetic as I want to be in that moment. And I don't judge myself about not being more fun or dancing for longer or being more in the center of the conversation or being yeah. funnier. Yeah. And I think that's the limitation for a lot of people is big alcohol has convinced them that there's a big part of them that's missing. That's not enough without alcohol, that they're not fun enough, that they're not celebratory enough, or they're not comfortable enough to be themselves with somebody yet until they've had a drink. Oh, I hate that. You said big alcohol. Is that a thing now? <laughs> oh man, that's just so gross. Billion, multi-billion dollar industry. Yeah. We can call it big. It is definitely big. Um, I don't know, but I think when I think big, I think big pharma, big this, big that. And I think about lobbyists and, and then being evil and very strategic. Is alcohol the same way? Do they have lobbyists? Are they strategic in promoting it? I don't know. I'm asking a dumb question. No, like. it's a good question. I would say, yeah, I would say they are. I think we've always known the impacts of alcohol. We've just chosen, chosen not to believe them for a long time. But, uh, then the sort of the data is clear. The data says that cancer is a group one carcinogen that influences and is directly impactful to seven common types of cancers. So we know that. You know what alcohol is? It's just the the drug that's been legalized, taxed, and is readily available everywhere. Um, one of the reasons I don't drink as much uh, or hardly at all anymore is that there's frankly so many good alternatives. Alcohol is quite a low vibration narcotic, so to speak. There's just frankly so many better options out there if you really do just want to relax or if you do want to enjoy looking at the stars a little bit more or, or enjoy some food or company or a show. Mm -hmm. um, there's way, way better options out there now. Oh, I mean, I love that you mentioned it's low frequency. It's literally a depressant. We know that. Yeah. And so it's lowering your vibration with every sip, uh, which, which many people enjoy the effects of. But we forget that we also have the capacity to, uh, to relax ourselves without it. And it doesn't cause any detrimental effects. Breathing yeah. can help you to, to relax. Being in, in a different space can help you relax. So we can get a state change from a lot of healthy things and, and other people too. One thing I took away from that book that was interesting was that alcohol does work in the way that many people use it. And that it, for someone that feels a lot of anxiety, social anxiety, uh, going into a, walking into a crowded room or an event or something like that. And the first instinct is to go to the bar, grab a drink. Um, and then they feel better once they have it, that that's real, you know, and it's, it's good not to you know, judge people who get really nervous in crowds or, or get a lot of value from that. But then the, what sucks in the next part of that learning is in, in that book is that it does work. Um, the trouble is it's like you're chasing the dragon a little bit. It just works less and more in a bad way where it, it makes you more anxious the next time and works not quite as well as it did the last time. Mm -hmm. And it just sends you down this path that, uh, you know, doesn't usually end well or ever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, the quick sort of spike 
in, in a hormone and generally, you know, you get that dopamine hit also gives you the sense of connection to other people too, that you were looking for probably when, when you sought to go out in yeah. the first place, Yeah. but it's followed by a quick drop and a plummet. So then you do what you just said, you chase the dragon, you try and get that hit again and all night you keep going for that next drink and then you end up in a place that's. What is it about getting absolutely smashed with someone that makes you feel closer? <laughs> it does. Yeah, it really does. You know, like, I mean, all the way. Is it that you've done this terrible thing together? So you have this bond or is it that your inhibitions drop so much that you say things you wouldn't have otherwise said? I mean, what do you think it is? I think it's the yeah, latter. But it's, it's all like, I, I would almost, I, you're right. I would almost compare that to something else though, too. Like uh, hiking the Inca trail together. Yeah, sure. We spent five days, you know, yeah, look what totally. we did bonded done yeah. instantly. Yeah. Went to the, my first music festival with my best friend bonded instantly. Yeah, totally. You know? Yeah. There's so many other alternatives, just like just, uh, you know, other alternatives to drink or consume other than alcohol. There's so many other ways to connect with somebody. The challenge is the norms are powerful. Mm -hmm. You know, I still get invited often, you know, let's go for a drink pretty much the last thing I want to do, honestly. Like, it's just going to make me tired. Maybe I shouldn't drive home. Didn't even get drunk. So what was the point? Like, it's just, uh, it's like I say, almost annoying. Mm -hmm. um, but there is this like social connection. What that person's really saying is let's just go sit down together and talk. Mm -hmm. And um, you have to be creative sometimes to, you know, mm -hmm. come up with a better plan. Yeah. A lot of that is, is language, choice of language. And that's really big in the non-alc space right now. Um, so everything from coming up with ways to, if you don't know somebody really well, how do you introduce the fact that you don't drink alcohol, even though the, the easiest thing to say is yes, after someone says, do you want to go for a drink? So yeah, I'd love to go for a drink. Um, I'd like to find a place that has some non-alc options for me, but if that's cool with you, like you, you can pick the spot, you know, I always try and let them know in advance so we don't get there and there's nothing on the menu for me to drink. Um, which is where our business, you know, <laughs> helps. Totally, We can give you a list of places you can go to that make it really easy where you don't have to say that going for a drink is synonymous with non-alcoholic and alcohol. That's cool. And that's what you're doing these days. You're meeting restaurants and bars and just educating them, letting them taste it. See, you know, good it is. Yeah. A big part of my job is marketing to consumers. So having conversations like this and trying to put it in small, digestible, creative and romantic forms yeah. so people can find us and feel as attracted to us as they would do to alcohol. Yeah. So the reason why sensorium looks the way it does and is as luscious and delicious and beautiful as it is, is because I know what worked with big alcohol was the way they painted the picture about a life of drinking. It looked sexy AF. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and the the boats and the beaches and the little umbrellas and the bikinis for summer look awesome. I want that every day. Yeah. And so, um, I don't go totally down the Corona route, but I, I make it look very experiential and very poetic and very romantic. So the Corona, do you mean like the frost cold <laughs> bottle in the yeah. beach and yeah. In the Bahamas. Yeah. It looks almost that good looking at it right now. And it's, uh, it looks awesome. And it seems to me that what you're doing is just, allowing people who would like to not drink to not have to sacrifice taste experience like it seems like a product that like if we were having people over 
and we served it, there'd be no apologies. In fact, it'd be very well received and very interesting to people that this tastes amazing. I can drive home after. I had a great time, even though I never was tipsy, all that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. I'd like to get to a place where any dinner we go to or any moment of celebration or just connection is met with, would you like your wine with or without alcohol? Cool. And so it's not the back of the fridge option. Oh yeah. I happen to have some of that. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's not an option. It's the norm. It's part of the purchase process for that host is to make sure they pick up both. That's cool. And then someone that does actually choose to drink alcohol at the beginning of the night, maybe has the opportunity to change their minds halfway through, you know, consent is fluid. Do you think there's a placebo effect because of the circumstance and Mm -hmm. the taste? I think I feel it. A thousand percent. I mean, we know the olfactory system connected to our limbic system, right? So our body is making decisions for us the second we smell something. Cool. So if this smells like wine to you, yeah, it does. and in the past, wine made you feel a little something, <laughs> a little weak in the knees, a little yeah. warm in the chest. Yeah, that's what so I'm feeling. Your body will start to do that right now. It's the same with beer. And actually in non-alcoholic beer, there's a high presence of hops. That's what gives it that kind of yeah. nice yeasty flavor to it, right? Yeah. Hops are naturally sedative. So I've had two nonies which is a really great now called beer here i had two nonies and i was like oh gosh yeah i don't know if i should drive home (laughs) i was feeling it i just had to have a glass of water and i was fine but it really worked on me quickly so absolutely placebo effect has been studied and and recorded on medicine so of course it's going to be the same with a non-alcoholic wine beer or spirit totally i've seen it too my brother-in-law quit drinking nine years ago and he's one of the happiest guys i know and he brings over his own delicious, new, like amazing. And it's been better over the nine years for sure. Uh, non-alcoholic beer. And I've tried them and I just think they're amazing. But I remember asking him years ago, why? Like, why bother? You know, and and it's partly the placebo thing, but he just likes the feeling. He likes the taste, likes holding it. He crushes like sometimes six or seven of those like old habits die hard. <laughs> and that part of it's funny. But again, it's just part of like, you know, just out on the boat or whatever. And uh Mm-hmm. Yeah, he loves it. Makes That's him so super happy. Funny. I love that. Um, I'm so happy for him because, yes, there are so many better options that he can choose from now. Yeah, he sacrifices nothing in terms of uh, taste and that kind of thing, for sure. Yeah, I mean, the the real um, innovation in the space has happened over the last, uh, I would say, 10 years. But in the last, like, three, it's been really big. So a couple of the brands, so Le Petit Chavin, the French wine that I first gave you, has been producing wine for 13 years and uses classic French know-how around winemaking, but de-alkalizes it in a way that's, um, that keeps the integrity of the grape. Well, tell me about that. How do you make non-alcoholic wine? So it's made in the same way up until the de-alkalizing process. So they harvest the grape and depending on the type of grape it is, they'll harvest it at different times, obviously. And they're looking at sugars so that it's not necessarily too sweet of a wine, but you want to have a development of sugars so that it can ferment into a fully alcoholic wine and get to its foolproof strength and develops all the characteristics that we love about wine. And then they'll age it in steel or oak barrels classically like they would in alcoholic wine. And then before it's bottled, they'll de-alkalize it. And the most expensive sort of form of doing that is through spinning cone technology. 
it was, um, it's actually a process that was created and used by the alcohol space before and used by coffee in the past as well to make decaf. And it's anything that you want to remove a part of a beverage through a fine mesh or a filter through, um, essential, uh, centrifugal force. So the, for the, for the alcoholic wine space, sometimes they would over ferment wine to the point where it was unsellable, 20%, 30% wine is unsellable. So they would have to dealkalize it down to that 12 or 13%. Mm. So one of the winemakers thought, why can't you just dealkalize it all the way? Yeah. What would happen? Well, it turns out the, the actual molecule alcohol is pretty powerful at holding flavor, characteristics, body, acidity. So when you take out all of the alcohol, it does te- technically take all that with it. Yeah. But the technology has advanced so much that you're not just left with this watery, grapey juice at the end. You can actually find where are you losing body? Where are you losing acidity? Where are you losing palate and flavor? And figure out in that process how to maintain it. And keep it so that you get that classic varietal expression and with the most amount of that original sort of grape that you were looking for. So Edenvale, this this uh, vineyard here, uses 94% dealkalized wine and only 6% of the original must, the grape kind of pounded juice at the beginning in their end, fin- in their end product. In the past, you would have seen that number much higher. You would have seen 30% grape juice pumped back in into a dealkalized version of the wine. And that's where you'd get that feedback that it was really grapey, really juicy and unpleasant and, and didn't feel sophisticated. So now we're seeing numbers like 94% and 6%, which is really great. Yeah. And that's why it tastes good. That's why it tastes that technology's good. changed and it's delicious. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I want to give you some red actually. Yeah, let's try it. So what does it feel like to, uh, you know, be leading this type of company with this type of product group at this time? I think your timing is excellent. Mm-hmm. I wonder how you feel about like being lucky or making it happen for yourself or being, you know, the face of a, of a company like this. It's funny. There's, I have a story, um, that leads to this, um, in 2019, I had gone back to work and the, the company that I was working for was um, a sexual wellness company. selling. That is shockingly good, by the way. Yeah, isn't it? It really is. Yeah, thank you. It's a Tempranillo Cab Sav. It's a beautiful dry red. I must admit that my expectations are low. <laughs> Honestly, like, and I'm not a fancy wine guy by any stretch. I'm not an expert in any way. Um, but when somebody, and I think the reaction I just had is what people, probably many first timers have, right? especially someone in the know that maybe can't wait to serve it at a dinner party or, or whatever and serve it to people and they compliment it or maybe find out after it's non-alcoholic or, yeah. or even say it's non-alcoholic before, which is better, lower their expectations yes. than mine are, and then have that reaction. It's delicious. Yeah. yeah. I wait till they finish the bottle and then they're like, oh, I can't drive home. And I'm like, psych, you can. It's really good. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, no. Uh, I was working at a, at a sex toy company. And I was wondering at the time, sexual wellness was really coming up in a lot of spotlights a couple of years ago before the pandemic and lots of publications were posting and, and doing lots of articles on it. Goop was launching their uh, Netflix series and one of the big topics was sex toys and, sh- and Gwyneth Paltrow had been coming up a lot about sex toys in that, uh, in that time. And so I was researching 
why now? Like, why are sex toys coming up in the media and in the culture as sort of like widely accepted? They were coming out in Sephora. They were, you know, coming out in CVSs and shoppers. You know, sexual wellness products were hidden for a long time. So I looked at sort of what's happening culturally and why now? What what are the trends that are happening? And so I looked at Instagram and for 10 years, Instagram kind of like highlighted the parts of the human experience that we were all, uh, maybe we were unaware of in the past, but we're now highlighting through social media. So we started looking at like, you know, Instagram highlighted all the food that we were eating. We were all taking pictures of better foods and we were learning more about foods in our body that are better for us. We we're looking at our movement and um, we were getting more equipped with how to better move our bodies. Yoga skyrocketed through that platform and transformed meditation and transformed spirituality in many ways. <laughs> um, psychedelics, marijuana were all being legalized and tested for therapy. Alternative medicines were being tested. We were starting to uncover a lot about ourselves and about the things that we do in society. And a lot of it was being captured through social media. I'm like, what's next? You know, what else do we have to really look at? I was like, I think the last thing that we really have to evaluate is our relationship with alcohol. We're doing all these things to feel better. We're doing all these things to support our well-being. And then we're getting trashed at the end of the day. We're kind of throwing away all of our hard work, so to speak, and waking up the next day and trying again. And is that is that putting us back a little bit? Surely if we know better, we should do better. So I, th I think I was thinking to myself, sobriety is next. And I did this presentation for the team at the sex toy company. And I showed them sort of like the wheel of trends that were, that had happened and then where we were going next. And I showed, you know, the legalization of marijuana and psychedelics are on the rise. I'm like, the next thing is sobriety. And they all laughed at me, <laughs> except for one, my friend, my one friend in the back of the room. She was like, yes, <laughs> you go girl, go girl, you tell them. And that's because everyone that led that company were so into drinking and so passionate about it. It was the thing to do. It was really our, it was how we all connected at that company was having drinks, you know, and dancing on tables and so on. And having sex with sex toys. <laughs> we were really like... professional, I must say, but uh, <laughs> we did not have sex with that company in the office or with each other. However, drinking was a big part of the culture. So they laughed at me when I said that sobriety was coming. So I felt like maybe I missed the mark on that one, but I was pleasantly surprised <laughs> No doubt. when later it became uh, through the pandemic and through isolation, more specifically, the magnifying glass that went over people and they looked at themselves and the four walls that they were in and what did they do the most was their their drinking habits were of the of the highlight of that isolation and they realized i might be drinking too much uh, it was interesting to watch how articles started to come up more conversations about that started to come up more and i mean i was having my own personal experience with my mom but i could see the shift happening around me so it was really cool it was really cool to mention that to people and have them laugh at me to then be buying product from me a year later. Um, it is really cool to go back and work with Sage, for example, who I used to, I used to work there and now hold pop-ups at that, at their main flagship store and sell my product that would otherwise not be in a Sage store um, at Christmas and completely rock the week before Christmas. So 
there was there's there's been lots of events that I've pinched myself in the last year about the timing and about um, just the place that we're at and just the the obviously first year of business is hard and challenging. We've learned a lot and we've had a lot of financial stress, but I love what I do and I love being part of a disruptive movement that I think will really change a lot of people's lives. Yeah, I think it will for sure. Um, you know, but it's hard. There's just so much, uh, norms are powerful. There's so many experiences people have had in their lives associated with alcohol that are positive, but man, there's some negative ones too. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever done anything you've regretted while you were drunk? Oh, me? Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, who yeah. hasn't? Who right? hasn't? Yeah. I have a lot of compassion for that. I have a lot of compassion for, uh, people that still today need alcohol to get through the day. Oh yeah. That's yeah, one. absolutely. I have a, I have a number of friends who are sober, fully sober from addiction and I'm so grateful to have them because I've lost family members recently. We lost two family members to alcohol addiction oh. and over in my mom's side of the family in Scotland. And it's absolutely devastating. It's absolutely devastating. Even for folks that had quit and had relapsed and came back and they knew one drink and their liver was over and that's what happened. Mm. So, um, yeah, it, it, it can be fun and we can talk about it being fun, but it can also be really yeah. detrimental. It can. It definitely is long-term short-term can be great or it can be terrible, but I was only half kidding before about, uh, like these norms are powerful. Like how many people have had their, you know, some of their sexual experiences with alcohol associated, right? I'd say like the majority, especially in early days when you're figuring it out and you're nervous and, you know, um, you kind of want it to happen you have thoughts about it. So maybe have some drinks and just let it happen. It'll all seem easier, I mm -hmm. guess. Mm -hmm. um, that's why those sex company people were against it. <laughs> <laughs> it's really prevalent. I'm in the sort of um, phase of my life where I'm dating and it's just how much of it starts with, Hey, you want to go for a drink? Yeah. And we, before we've even really cracked the surface on each other, Oh, what do you want to drink? What do you want to drink? What do you want to get? You know, yeah. it's really fast. And it, ah, oh, we all feel a little, oh, there we go. The person is house for me. I can see their shoulders literally drop in front of me. They feel yeah. better just having it. Um, but in that interest, interestingly dating is, is a desire to connect with somebody. It's a, desire to get to know someone on a really deep level so that you can see if you want to maybe pursue life partnership with them or at least time partnership with them. And in the act of drinking, you're almost, at least in my experience, you're kind of like touching the connection and then backing up again and touching it and coming back again and then not actually getting an honest depiction of that person in front of you. And then more about me, am I really honest about myself when I'm under the influence of alcohol about who I am and what's the honest truth about me. And do I even like that person? Yeah. And do I want to see them again? Yeah. So I have for personally sworn off drinking on first and second and third dates for myself going forward, just so that I can get a quick read on someone fast. And I don't dabble in a hazy view of myself with that person that I might regret later on committing to that way. So no doubt. Mm -hmm. So what do you say when you're on a, on a first date with someone that you like and they seem to really want to have a drink and, and 
What's your response? I mean, generally, I haven't been out with people yet. I have actually. And that that first date didn't end up in a second date. But um, I tend to attract people that are interested in a sober curiosity over a heavy, unconscious sort of binge drinking lifestyle. So I don't now have to do too much of that dance. And thankfully, from the publicity of Sensorium, a lot of people don't engage with me. Unless they, <laughs> Steer clear. They know. Yeah, most um, people know even what you're into, right? Yeah. I, I like to go for the, um, I like to be introduced to people, like sort of like meet them offline rather than online. On Dating apps and stuff, you can't really, there's not much advice there. you got to just be really honest. Yeah. <laughs> but in person, yeah, people generally know that I'm, they ask me to, you know, are you going to? Do you want to drink? And I'll say, yeah, I'll have one without alcohol. Yeah. That's it. So many things I'm hearing for the first time from you, like big alcohol, sexual wellness. That was a new one. <laughs> Sober curiosity. Let's dig into that one a bit. So it, it really resonates with me because I had, uh, I've, I probably hadn't gone a month without drinking in my whole sort of adult life. Um, that sounds like crazy and, uh, but I never drank alone ever. Maybe not one drink ever. I don't think. Um, but you know, just out so much, and, and you know, definitely a month never went by when, when drinking wasn't a part of it. But I for sure have been sober curious for most of my adult life, um, but just never felt like motivated or or it's the right time, or I was worried about what people would think, or maybe um, I'd feel you know uncomfortable, or like I was ruining a moment or something like that. Is that a real thing or did you make that up? The sober curiosity <laughs> thing? Is this a movement that I'm just not officially aware of? Yes. Um, it's a term that was coined by a New York journalist, Ruby Warrington. Uh, she wrote the book by the same name in 2018, published it, and has done a lot of great work in the sort of cultural rise around sober curiosity. So I absolutely did not make up that term and I flip it back to her. But what I... Uh, what I love about it is it created a section on the spectrum for people that didn't identify with alcohol addiction and didn't need to become sober because they had a problem with drinking and a, and a psychological, emotional, physical problem with it. They just had a desire to not drink anymore because of their, it was a wellness, you know, benefit they saw to it. There was an emotional benefit. Um, they didn't like the taste of it. That's a big one for a lot of people that I don't think a lot of people admit. I actually don't like the taste of any of this. And it doesn't bring pleasure to me. It's a big one. And they just wanted a, an area where they could call, they could kind of sit on the spectrum without someone going, are you pregnant or are you an addict? What's wrong with you? It's just, I don't want to. I'm yeah. So, so I never okay. thought of that. That's part of um, saying no, or even saying that you don't drink is fear probably around people assuming that you were some sort of raging disaster of an alcoholic, you know, that you've hit rock bottom and they're morbidly curious as to what happened and maybe even what the story, mm -hmm. but that's not somebody that, uh, anybody wants thinking about them, mm -hmm. right? It's not a thought that you want people to have about you. No, not at all. And I totally, my, my mom didn't want the term sober attached to her when she decided to stop drinking alcohol because of that stigma. So, you know, she had the raging alcoholic father, you know, 
the domestic abuser. She had that, that wasted all the money on gambling and drinking. So absolutely put me a thousand yards between <laughs> me and that word. Yeah. Um, so she, she's chosen to say that she lives alcohol free and that's what really, really works for her. That's cool. Yeah. I like it too. Positive. Really positive. I'm alive. Just alcohol free. Sounds like more, not less. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So sober curiosity and what it can support and inspire is mindful drinking, meaning you have an aware relationship with why and how much you're going to be drinking if you do. Mm -hmm. But you know, you know the reasons why. Is it because I want to taste this type of beverage? Like I like the taste of it and I want to feel the pleasure from that. Is it because I am consciously aware of the effect of the alcohol for a moment that I want to have? Great. If you know that and you're aware of that, then you can use it in, a, in the right way. And you also know when to stop too. Oh, for me, one is enough. Or for me, two is enough. Then at least you, you can engage with it to that point and you know when to walk away. For some people though, one is too much already. And for some people, they don't have that off button. So for them, mindful drinking might not be drinking at all. And, yeah. and that's okay. That's okay to say that. And so you might be, you might be in the camp of sobriety full time um, because you never reached rock bottom and you never reached addiction, but you just know, I got a personality trait <laughs> that drives the bus a little too fast. So I just don't go there. You can, you can say that too. Yeah. Big spectrum. Yeah. It's funny the emotions I have, you know, when you say that, you know, some of the things you say really resonate and I feel like almost guarded um, to think that I don't have an off button isn't something that I would want to say, you know, I don't want to think that about myself. Um, but I, you know, I, I did used to like going all the way, you know, I could drink the most and just, you know, I was generally happy drunk and, and uh, generally wouldn't do anything that I regretted either. But, you know, there's always risk, you know, cause you lose control mm. and things can happen that you don't even remember and, you know, all types of stuff can, can go sideways. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think the problem that we're seeing in, uh, like sort of the drinking culture is that it doesn't create things about you. It makes alive things that you are trying to keep dormant. Say that again. I don't think I understood that. So there's, if there's a part of you that um, doesn't come up in everyday life, alcohol tends to lower the veil enough for that part of you to become alive. Oh, that's so true. Yeah. That's creepy. It is a little creepy. So we don't create misogyny because of alcohol. Alcohol is not the derivative of misogyny. Male entitlement is. Oh, I know. And yeah. that's, that's a hard one for a lot of people to resonate with because we want to use the substance as the scapegoat yeah. for why terrible things happen. Yeah. But it really requires us to take an honest look at what's already inside of us that we've just yeah. made dormant for enough time that it hasn't hurt anybody or hasn't hurt ourselves before alcohol kind of let it, let it slip. Yeah, Totally. Oh, that just makes me so uncomfortable. <laughs> Honestly, it's terrible. Um, but I know it's true and that's probably why it bothers me because, you know, you, you have, um, you know, we live in a society here and we keep our shit together when we're sober 
but you ply someone with enough alcohol and you strip away all of that and they get down to their lizard brain, frankly, um, you know, and in the, in the worst of situations, like in the very core of this animal, you know, you, you strip it all the way down and you just get to a point where you just want to like fight or fuck or something like mm -hmm. it goes like to a, kind of a dark, dark place. It can, that's the worst, I guess that's rock bottom yeah. on a night. Yeah. And it, I think what we're also talking about now, which is something I really, um, I don't, don't want to say the word like talking about, but I think it's important to talk about is sobriety beyond alcohol and sobriety beyond substances. And that's our emotional sobriety. And I know that I don't have an addiction to alcohol. I'm not counting my chips for my alcohol sobriety, but I'm counting my chips for my emotional sobriety. And I know when I've slipped and I've acted in a behavior that's not clear and grounded and integral that I'm out of my emotional sobriety and I need to maybe ramp up on some therapy <laughs> and I got to do some things to help me get back on track. And this is as uncomfortable for me to say, as I'm sure what you just felt, this is hard. This is hard work. This is an addiction of sorts inside of me you know, behaviors that hurt other people and hurt myself that I have to be really brutally honest about. And we slip up when we kind of take our hands off the wheel or we get comfortable or we get kind of egoic. Um, we're not honest. We don't tell the truth. This is all things that derail our emotional sobriety and don't allow us to stay in sort of genuine connection with other people and ourselves. So all of this is all in the same, same conversation. Oh, it's so heavy. <laughs> you thought this was like a wine and cheese night. Yeah, you? like, come on. This is like, <laughs> I thought we were just going to party without partying kind of. But that is, uh, that's some heavy stuff. Yeah. It must be hard. Like you're bringing in a collection of products, giving people better options. And, and it takes you to this place, right? That That's like about changing people's lives and, and evaluating well, the why is a huge part of it. Our friend Tori Holmes messed with my mind a little bit before I read the book and I was explaining her to her what, how not an alcoholic I am. And, uh, and she wasn't arguing that it was, but she just questioned me about the why. It's not, I'm not saying who, who might, I don't know how much you drink or don't drink or all that kind of stuff, but just answer for yourself the question around why you drink. And, uh, and that's what, messed me up a little bit, but in a good way. But that's what caused me to start to think that it's probably, uh, the wrong reasons. You know, if I drink, if I'm drinking for other people, um, and not for myself, that doesn't sound good. At least it doesn't resonate with me. Mm -hmm. Uh, not really. I mm -hmm. mean, I used to do it a lot, but it doesn't I'm just not that type of person. I don't like doing things because other people want me to do it. Totally. And once I connected those dots, uh, it got a lot easier. Yeah. Yeah. And for a lot of people, it's the value that we place around the effect of alcohol that it, it it's required to have in so many, in the center of so many uh, sort of celebrations and environments and yeah. places. So the second you reevaluate the value, that reevaluates the why too. Mm -hmm. So you can kind of uh, assess how important it is or not, you know, to that, to that scenario. So yeah, I look at that as well. It must be hard for a lot of people that drink to deal with anxiety and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, I can think about, you know who, you know who's an alcoholic? 
everyone that's ever ordered a double vodka soda. Because that is, honestly, that is a terrible drink. That tastes terrible, like really bad. Um, it has no good taste. And the only taste it has is is just awkwardly bitter and just not good. And it is such a common thing. And I have so many friends that do it. And I know exactly why they're doing it. And it's just to ramp things up and get into the next mode kind of of the night or whatever. Um, but that's got to be something for people to think about and order a lot of those, right? Yeah, that's a taste thing for sure for me. I could not swallow that drink. Ever or just now? Ever. Yeah. I mean, I, w- I would have to pinch my nose and take a deep breath before it would. Like it wouldn't be attractive nor pleasurable. Oh, it's so bad. <laughs> yeah. You know what else is bad? Tell me. Shooters. Shooters <laughs> are terrible. They never taste good. I mean, it doesn't matter if it's a lemon drop or... If it's tequila or a porn star or a muff dive or all those things are just absolutely terrible experiences. The only one that was even would even approach good would be tequila. Mezcal is not my favorite, but but a nice tequila. But then if it is a nice tequila, you don't want to shoot it. You want to sip it and Mm -hmm. really enjoy the taste of that. Mm -hmm. So if you're ordering shooters, yeah, probably fucked. (laughs) You probably have some serious issues. But you know who does it? People that are just trying to escalate the party. They're just trying to make it fun. I was at an event a few nights ago and and there was um, a whole bunch of tables, a whole bunch of people into each other. And one table, a couple over, uh, they were doing it. And honestly, it looked kind of fun um, because it brought them together and they were proud of it, you know, making a big uh, sort of big deal out of it. But then a couple hours later into the night, coincidentally they were first onto the dance floor too yeah. uh, but a couple hours into the night i was glad that uh, i wasn't them <laughs> because i still felt great um and i knew kind of how they were feeling and i could see how they were looking and and uh yeah i was uh i just you know i missed that sort of that that moment of bringing people together you know to do a shot but I think I'm done with shots. I don't think it's ever going to happen again. <laughs> it's definitely they're gross. Yeah, and it's that quick spike. Yeah, that that deep crevice. Of I a bet fall. in every group of people doing shots, like fifty percent of the people in that group don't want to do it. And there's probably there's usually one instigator. There's the me. Yeah, bring it over my shoulder. <laughs> I must admit, I've done that before. I've I've ordered shots for all my friends and got myself water. Yeah, me I too. mean not for a long time. That was like an old. That has actually messed up to even talk about, but that goes way back to like early twenties, just really learning how to party. And and I guess it goes back even to like being a little bit sober curious or drinking for the wrong reasons, because I didn't want to get that smashed and I was, couldn't keep up, but it was my turn to buy a round. And I'm like, I'm personally taking this round off, but I'll buy everyone else one. That's a little bit messed up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We did a lot of things to please uh, an invisible kind of God or body of people because everyone was also, it's a, it's like we were all doing the same thing. We were all pleasing each other. So it's this round table effect of drinking and, and trying to kind of create something together. So one of the things that messed me up in that book too, it's just so incredibly good. And that's alcohol explained at explaining that we are all on the same journey with alcohol it's pretty much the same with every person. And it starts with that first experience you have with alcohol, usually with your parent, like 
for me, it was probably like my dad giving me a sip of his beer and how that made me feel. That's such an incredibly positive thing for a, you know, a growing boy to feel like a man for a minute and, and have a taste of something that frankly tastes terrible, but you probably don't want to admit it and uh, feeling like you're part of the club or something like that. It's the start of this journey that's pretty much the same for everyone and ends with death. It's just a case of what stage of it you're on. And once you see that clearly, it takes the fun out of it. Mm -hmm. And how much of that first experience was actually your dad looking at you. Yeah. And feeling. And paying attention to you. Yeah. Giving you a moment of his time. Yeah. And, and giving you a chance to succeed, to swallow proud. it down without making a face. and Yeah. Or just how proud he was of you to be there. You know, how much of that moment was about that? Yeah. How many of us are just unwinding trauma from early days, early formative days in our lives? That's part of it. You know, this, this sort of like formation of this expectation or, or whatever alcohol is in our lives is, is definitely formed by our experience with it before we drank it even. Mm -hmm. uh, my parents, I think they drank a lot. I had nothing to compare it to, but I knew that I could make a perfect rum and coke by the time I was 10 or 11 probably and it was five o'clock somewhere mm -hmm. and maybe it really was five o'clock but it was definitely part of like I sort of I guess I, I felt good when my parents were drinking with friends and I would make them drinks and I was complimented on how good they were how perfect they were mm -hmm. the right amount mm -hmm. of alcohol the right mm -hmm. amount of coke the right amount of lemon whatever it was yeah I felt good yeah I felt successful you were affirmed. Yeah. I was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You were part of the club. You are one yeah. of them. <laughs> it all comes down to us being messed up. Yeah. And our obsession with alcohol is just one more way. Mm -hmm. And really our desire to belong. I think that's what a lot of us actually seek out the most. Is less to be understood, but more to belong. Yeah, definitely. Especially when, you know, others are drinking, you want to join in. I still feel it. Mm -hmm. I just feel it less. For me now, it's more about making people comfortable than I'm not. Mm -hmm. and just not worrying about it. And again, most don't care. And when they do, they kind of get over it. So it's not a big deal. Yeah. The, there's an interesting um, thing that happens that was happening for a long time. It's kind of less so now, but it was when I said to somebody, oh, it's okay. I, I actually don't drink or yeah, I'm, I'm taking time off or something. They would respond with, oh yeah, I, I don't I actually don't drink that much either. <laughs> and I would be like, did I ask them that? Did, yeah. Is that what I just asked? No, actually, me by me saying I drink less, it challenged how much you drink, and that's a judgment inside of you, not me. Yeah. It, 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 you that came up right to the surface really quickly, and cool. you you needed to share that with me because you needed to feel maybe better about your relationship to alcohol. Maybe you're struggling with that relationship to it, and that's not for me to know. But you needed some sort of moment of validation. Totally. So I, I often find that interesting and I see that happen, not just with alcohol, but that happens with other things too. If you say, Oh, I'm, I'm not eating meat right now. Oh yeah. I, I eat way less meat now too. I do meatless Mondays. <laughs> cool. <laughs> awesome. Good for you. <laughs> I wonder what percentage of people that offer someone a drink don't really want one themselves, but they do it because they feel like they're supposed to, mm -hmm. you know, it's part of being a good host of making people comfortable, welcoming somebody, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. maybe not half, but I bet it's a huge percentage. Yeah. Maybe a third. Yeah. I can see that or, or purchase and pay for alcohol that don't want to pay for it. That's a big thing in the sort of, I would call it the sober community because alcohol is, is expensive and 
going out to dinner, your bill could be $30 or $300, depending on what you're eating and drinking. And for someone that doesn't drink alcohol, splitting the bill is a really tough thing to swallow because I didn't drink $200 of alcohol. So, um, yeah, that's definitely a, has been for some people a bit uncomfortable to say, I'm actually just going to pay for my side. And that kind of puts you out from the group immediately, you know, I'm not bit. contributing or I'm not splitting the bill. So that's changed for me in the last few years. People are like, no, 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 she didn't drink anything. She's not paying for the wine. You know, she had her own stuff that's happened. But in the past, it was just kind of a blind acceptance, split it down six ways and I'll just pay twice as much. Mm. Yeah. You know what else helps you never want to drink is this whoop strap here. This is a like a health monitoring device and it okay. sits on my wrist. It has no way of knowing whether I'm having a couple of drinks or not. Uh, other than, you know, monitoring my vitals, right? And it measures, you know, your cardiovascular strain in a day, the quality of your sleep that night and your recovery, how much you've recovered from the strain that you did yesterday. Hmm. Um, and so I track it every single day with friends and in teams and it's super fun. Hmm. And whenever anybody is drinking, this gives it away every single time. Like you are physically destroyed. It's like, sometimes it's so bad that, um, friends of mine, not me, friends of mine have literally a 1% recovery. Like it's almost, they've spent most many hours in bed that night, but they may as well physically in terms of how much they've recovered from the day before, they may as well have not slept at all, mm. you know, mm-hmm. from a sort of a biometric mm. point of view. And it's amazing that the physical effects on, on somebody's body are so profound that this, this thing that sits on your wrist, it has no other way of knowing. Um, there's nothing you entered into your phone. There's, there's nothing other than it's just watching like the, your heart rate, the distance between your heartbeats, the, the time between your heartbeats and, uh, your skin temperature and all these other things that it knows like you are in terrible shape. I don't know what's going on with you, but your pulse, you're supposedly sleeping, but your pulse is 78, you know, and, and all these other things are happening. It's uh, wow. it's a strong deterrent. I mean, what I know is that alcohol is so addictive that a hangover is your withdrawal symptoms of the addiction that you created the night before. So your body has to detox so hard off of the alcohol that you drank. And if you drank, let's call it more than two. I can absolutely attest to those results. Your body's working overtime overnight to get it out. And if you are drinking and you're eating, so if you think you're eating nutritious food, your body is prioritizing the detoxification over the nutrient absorption from that food. So you're actually not getting anything out of that good food, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, Mm -hmm. or very little. You'd have to keep eating well past the states of drinking to be able to get some of that nutrients um, absorbed. So they're, they're really, I can totally see why their results are off the charts Mm -hmm. and it's affecting your sleep. You're in a lot more of a hyperactive state because your body can't fully rest. It's working overtime. Totally. Wow. Yeah. It's, uh, there's there's the answers right on your wrist. (laughs) It's it's one more thing that helps, right? Mm -hmm. So many things help. It's there's, uh, there's just getting over yourself and, and just deciding what you really want. And then there's this technology that can help. And, um, and there's products like yours, the, the quality and the taste is amazing. You know, we've only had red and, and white wine, but I can see gin. I can see a bunch of stuff that you could make, you know, some pretty cool aperitifs or, or some cocktails with. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of curious about it. You know, I, I think, uh, 
I think we should try it before you go. I'm honestly, to be totally real with you, I, I don't almost see the point. Like I, I think about the Manhattans and, and the, some of the cocktails that I've had in my life and, and I think they taste okay. But let's be honest, I think I, I found it a, a, a more tasty way to get drunk before. Mm-hmm. Um, and so going to all that trouble of mixing something up that looks and feels like a Manhattan and mm-hmm. tastes like one, frankly, seems like a lot of work if there's no sort of like point to it in terms of getting drunk. You really got to like that taste of that particular drink mm-hmm. or you want to be in an environment where it looks like you're drinking, even though you're not. You just want to be private about it or you don't want to get asked about it. It's interesting to me. Mm-hmm. It's nice to give people the alternatives though, because what a healthy and great alternative is. What a nice option for people that want to host people at their home or mm-hmm. go to a restaurant and, and drive home or just keep their wits about them mm-hmm. or drink things that, that taste amazing and look cool. So they don't feel like they're diminishing from the party or just because they enjoy the taste. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. I, I think that's, uh, you have to match a drink with the environment, right? You have like, for it to be pleasurable for me, it has to like, I, I'm not going to slam a double espresso martini right now. <laughs> so I don't need it. And it's not the environment to do that in, Yeah. but take me out to the botanist or bring me over to kiss a tanto. And it's yeah, you're dressed sultry, up. sexy. Yeah, totally. I want the kind of glass that I, that would hold that martini. And I, I want the flavor profile of the bitterness to like match the sultry nature of the room lighting. Like there's reasons why I would pick that drink when I go to those places. Yeah. It doesn't, you know, although this beautiful couch, I, I would, I just have a glass of wine. I'm so satisfied with that. Yeah. So I think it's, I think what you're saying is in the past, the value of alcohol was so high that you would just push it in anywhere and take the effect of the outcome over the pleasure of setting up an experience for yourself that felt really good and matched each other. So that's where I think we have to repalatize how we drink and we have to take back the art of drinking away from alcohol and simply just to the experience that it evokes in our, in ourselves and in our bodies. So I'd probably drink one or two of these, but I wouldn't drink that whole bar (laughs) just now, but we should absolutely taste some. So you have an idea of what to choose when you get to that hot date and you want to go for a sultry aperitivo. (laughs) Yeah. Well, my hot date is going to be a business meeting, but, uh, I get what you're saying. I like the idea of matching the environment and, uh, I really like what you said about imagining a server asking if they want what they ordered with or without alcohol. So what that says is you're not sacrificing anything else. You can have a perfectly delicious, perfectly made cocktail or whatever it is this way or that way. And when you're given that choice, I think the the reasonable choice is, well, without, you know, I I don't need the alcohol. I want to drive. I want to keep my wits about me, whatever. It's a very cool place to get to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we used to, um, at some restaurants I've worked in or bartenders that head up the beverage program, I know that they would test new bartenders on how well they could make a non-alcoholic cocktail because it's harder than it is to make an alcoholic one. So the testament to a great bar is if they can slam it on a non-alcoholic. Yeah. Really. That's cool. Yeah. Well, let's see what your bartending is like. But before we do, 
I'm looking forward to it before we do, but let's let people know what's the easiest way to get a hold of you. If they want to learn more, if they have a restaurant that they would like to ask to get in touch with you or whatever. Mm -hmm. So you can take a look at our whole selection. If you want to purchase for your home or for a party at sensorium.com, S-A-N-S-O-R-I-U-M.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and watch the antics that I got up to on there. I do a lot of interviews and I do a lot of fun things on there. And I post a lot about products that I think are amazing. So it's a great place to learn. You can get in touch with us at hello at sensorium.com if you want to order product for your establishment. We support restaurants, bars, retailers across Canada, events and venues, uh, hotels, golf clubs, you name it. We have products on all of them. And you can contact me if you would like to chat further at Fiona at sensorium.com because I am more than happy to talk to anybody who wants to explore more about their own relationship with alcohol or thinks a conversation with their community would be beneficial. Oh, I appreciate that. It's, you're obviously very passionate about it and I love what you're doing. You're doing a good thing for, for people, you know, in all the ways that we already talked about and, and, and helping some people, uh, you know, question or at least start to think about their relationship with alcohol, creating an option for them where so easily they can sacrifice nothing except the alcohol. And uh, it's a good thing. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's been my pleasure. 